Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. This week's interview is with the ever popular Jess Cook. Jess is the head of content at Lasso and is also the co-host of the podcast, That's Marketing Baby. Now, Kev, aside from giving away a ton of value online through her own channels, she also shares with us some great gems of wisdom in this interview on our own podcast. Yeah, George. Great job getting her on. And I feel like we're starting to get famous with all these very famous people coming on the podcast. But look, listeners, chief among the points that she made that were really standouts and real gems is you need to have a point of view to stand out. And that's true with AI tools coming out as well, with more content coming out as a result of those AI tools. And often really only those subject matter experts that we've talked about with their human touch can provide that point of view that will help you stand out. Kev, I think what was so great about Jess is she said, yes, like a lot goes into running a successful content marketing engine. Uh, but the awesome part was that she went into great detail into sharing that with us and hers with us. So it really, really helps when you're doing that to first know the goals of the company that you're trying to hit with your content. Like that is just such an important thing to start. Yeah, and really use that to help you and your team to figure out what to do and what to prioritize because every other um, part of the marketing team within a small business, as our listeners I'm sure know, there's a lot going on and there's a million and one things you can do at any given moment. So it really helps to know the goals that you're driving towards. 
And also to start with your customers, just like what we say in Be Ready, which is all about starting with understanding your customers well and maintaining that channel of insight from them throughout your process. This will really ground your content creation going forward. And finally, Kev, I love how Jess reminded us that content is absolutely crucial to fuel a demand gen engine and vice versa. I mean, I think it's really blurry where demand gen starts and content stops. But look, just make sure that if you are a content person or you are a demand gen person, make sure you align really closely with the other in your organization. We speak to mostly marketers in small teams, so there's a good chance you're the same person, even better. But make sure that there's great alignment. Yeah, and definitely a much better tie-in than we usually do when we try and jump into the content of an episode there. Really great to see that connection between content and demand generation from Jess as a content marketer. All right, listeners, it was another fantastic episode, and we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jess. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, as you know, we rarely have guests on our show. Instead, we select a few true experts who really align with our view that B2B marketing is more about people, not platforms. Now, today, our special guest is the wildly popular Jess Cook. Let me tell you, there is a reason people love her and look up to her so much. Jess is a content marketing machine and all-around great marketing strategist. She's currently the head of content at Lasso and has done so much before that role that I can't wait to dig into. She's also the co-host of the podcast, That's Marketing Baby. Jess gives a ton of value away every day, and I know she's going to share some gems with us on all things content marketing. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, George. It's such an honor. Oh, I'm so, so excited to have you here. As I said, we were just saying, it's funny you see these people around, you've been following each other. I've looked up to your content for so long. I've learned so much from it. I've had you earmarked as someone who I wanted to have on the show. And it's just so great that we could make it work. Oh, and likewise, I've listened to the podcast for a long time. And so it's very exciting and like a big moment for me to be here. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. Thank you so much. All right, Jess, I want to kick off with talking about that moment that you fell in love with content marketing. Can you pinpoint a time that you got that feeling of, holy crap, this stuff is really exciting and it matters a lot? Yes. So I mentally fell in love with content marketing because my background is really in B2C copywriting and creative direction. And so I made a total pivot and came into SaaS marketing. Um, thinking it was more like what I had already been doing, <laughs> to be totally honest, and realizing that it was completely different. And so I think that first year of my SaaS marketing career was just like trying to learn as quickly as possible, like figuring everything out. How do I build a business case? Like, how do I like take this white paper and turn it into a blog post? They can't be the same thing. Okay. All right. I got to figure out what that means. Like, <laughs> SEO. Okay. All of those things. And I was at a company called Fastly. That was first job in SaaS marketing. And I was, I started there in September of 2019, just a few months in COVID hit. And Fastly is a huge part of the internet infrastructure. If you look them up, I don't know, 10% of the internet runs through them or did at the time that I was there. And so they have a lot of insight into how the internet was performing when everyone was at home and everyone was online every minute of the day trying to figure things out, like what's happening. And so I ended up writing this blog post about 
is the internet going to be okay, basically, with everyone at home? Or is the internet going to be able to withstand all of this? It was a huge piece. We looked at data all over the world because we had it in our system. And we were talking about in Italy when COVID was getting so bad and everyone was at home and we were plotting COVID spikes against, against internet usage on these crazy graphs. And we did this whole huge blog post of this global view of, is the internet going to continue to work? And that piece performed so well because, again, people were just voraciously looking up information about what's going to happen to the world. And I think it was that moment about six months into my time there where it was like, whoa, this really works and it really matters. And people are looking for this information. And that was really exciting to have helped author that piece. And that I think was what really helped. That was like the bug bite for me where it was like, I just, I gotta have more of this. This is really fun. It's so cool to be able to pinpoint that moment. And look, I think we'll get into this a little bit later, but there are so many components to that piece that you just spoke about, which leads to great content marketing. And I want to talk about what makes great content marketing. But before we do that, I want to find out a little bit more about your roles before this. You just told us a little bit there, but you actually started out as a copywriter, right? You were writing copy for McDonald's national billboards. <laughs> then you became a creative director. You were working with huge brands like Kellogg and Kimberly Clark. And when I was doing my research, I you listed like a whole lot of characters and names that <laughs> I know I should recognize, but just because here in Australia, like I, I wasn't fully across them. Yeah, um, that's all right. I, I would love to know what are the biggest things that you learned from these roles that you feel gives you an advantage as the killer content marketer you are today? I think, I think the biggest thing is like leading with story and emotion and not with benefits of a product, right? I think B2C is all built on Rice Krispies, for example, which was a brand I worked on, is all about nostalgia, right? That's a cereal you eat. Is it called that in Australia or is it Rice Bubbles? <laughs> Rice bubbles. Yeah, yeah okay. rice yeah. bubbles. Yeah. That is all about eats that as a child, the sound of it, right? The snap and the crackle and the pop. And then you grow up and your kids eat it. You make Rice Krispies treats out of it. It's all about memories, right? And like mm. starting there first rather than it's it's made of rice and it makes a cool sound and it's this many calories, right? No one cares about that part. It's about, <laughs> yeah. this was what I ate at my grandmother's house when I was like five and I would go there and we'd watch cartoons together. So I think that was a, that's probably the biggest thing of just starting with a base of emotion first and foremost. Yeah, perhaps B2Cs just realized this from the beginning. I don't know if B2Bs woken up to the fact that pretty much everything's a commodity, right? The barrier to entry for everything is so low. Like that's really happened in software the last five yes. to 10 years. In B2C, that has been true for such a long time. And so these brands have realized that they've got to actually start with emotion, start with creating memories if they're going to stand out. Because you know what? No one really cares about the features at the end of the day. Of course, in B2B, Later on, when someone is evaluating the product, the features do play a more important part. But to make that impression, to stand out from the competition, like you've got to start with emotion to begin with. Yeah, I, I do think SaaS is really starting to see this. If you look at Airbnb, they made an announcement last year that like they're siphoning all of their money only into brand efforts. 
and they get it. They know that they aren't going to be able to sell on features are part of the app. They're selling on what adventure are you going to go on because of us. And so I think we're going to start to see more people, more SaaS brands move, move that way. Oh my God. I've loved their advertising lately. All around storytelling, like really feels like user generated content and they're putting it on billboards. They've gone back to TV. They're invading my space, but I like it. I can't help but like it. Yeah. It feels better when they're invading your space with something interesting and cool and emotional than it does when they're just barking features and price and things at you. Yeah. Oh, totally. And look, you might be able to say your response to this next question is the exact same thing. It might be emotion, but I would love to know, is there anything else that really separates average content marketing from really great content marketing? A point of view. I think you can have a good piece of content that is a, let's say a guide that tells you how to do something. A really great piece of content would tell you why that's the only way to do it. And so I think there's like this missing piece that, or this leap that not every SaaS brand is willing to take, which is like putting a stake in the ground about how things should be done, how you should think about this thing. And that is all, that should all come from a, a place of what your brand provides. For instance, Lasso is a software platform for event production companies. And our point of view is like, you should have one piece of software to do everything you do in your event production business. Because if you don't, this person's not going to know that this person got booked on this job. And the sales guy's not going to know that this camera's already been rented out because none of your systems talk to each other. And so like our point of view is there is only one right way to use software to produce events and everything we create is built around that idea. And so I think there, there's something to be said for getting buy-in on that point of view to create great content instead of just good content. Yeah. A point of view is so crucial. And I, it just kind of occurred to me then that we talk a lot about marketers should really think about the hero's journey, right? If they want to sell a story. And as part of that, we always tell our listeners, your role in that hero's journey, you're not the hero of your story. It's your customer. Your role is the guide. And the guide, if you think about every big blockbuster, they actually have a really unique point of view. They have something that they stand for. They have morals that they stand for. And they're not just presenting like the same path as everyone else. Otherwise, their path wouldn't be interesting at all. Yeah, so, absolutely. So Jess, I've also seen you say that when trying to get your content to have that cut through, you really want that content to be created by subject matter experts. Why is it so important to become friends with your subject matter experts in your organization as a content marketer? It's really important. It's becoming more important with this advent of AI tools. And I think it's important because there's, there is nothing that can create really valuable content quite like lived experience and understanding the pains of a certain role, job title, or thoroughly understanding the importance of this one step in a process, right? And so I think you, you can't be relied upon as the content marketer to know all those things. There's just no way. You can know, you know, the tip of the iceberg about, here's the angle I want to get at. I think this feels important, 
But what you have to then do is seek out the person who really knows why it's important, the little nuances around its importance, the mistakes that you can frequently make when you're trying to solve this problem, right? And that can't really be found in an AI tool or just by trying to wing it and try to create content that you think answers that question. I always, that is one of my things, go on a friend-making tour, like figure out who your experts are <laughs> internally, just talk with them, have coffee with them, figure out what they are experts in so that when it comes time to talk about that subject, you know exactly who to go to. They're, they've already opened up to you a little bit. They know who you are and you can get a lot of really great information and insight out of them. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. I totally agree that having that information come from subject matter experts is definitely going to set you apart from that commodity content out there that AI is just making it way easier to do. Like yeah. now with AI, anyone can create the how-to information. Normally those like evergreen pieces of content that you'd knock out as your content pillars for SEO, or whatever it might be, like anyone can spit them out now. But yeah. I feel like you're right. You've got to have that subject matter expert at the top of that content creation process and yeah you can use all the whiz bang ai tools after that to help you yeah but it's got to start with the expert at the top absolutely okay look you said that you can go on a friend making tour <laughs> but I, I hear from so many marketers that like they really want to be making content with their subject matter experts but they just struggle to get their buy-in do you have any other tips for our listeners on how to get that buy-in from subject matter experts? It is hard because you're basically, you're asking them to add another to-do to their already lengthy list and to, to do it consistently. <laughs> like, oh, I'll come <laughs> back in a couple months. I'm probably going to have another idea or, hey, you'd be great on the podcast to talk about this thing. We just did a blog post that you helped <laughs> author about. And so you are, you're adding more to their plate I think what's helpful for them to see is the impact that it makes. Something I really like to do is if you have a pretty strong pool of SMEs is to create a Slack channel with all of them in it and all of marketing. And every time something brings in a new qualified lead or be jumps into that top five blog posts or hits a threshold of podcast downloads, like make sure that's known to the people who are contributing. Show them like the difference they're making that, hey, you're helping us bring in pipeline. You're helping us grow the company. Like we're not just doing this to create content for content's sake, it's working. And that usually gets people fired up and really excited. And usually what that will do is it will get others who maybe were a little bit reticent to start or hesitant to help you 
be like, okay, all right, yeah, hey, I have an idea too. And so they're much more likely to jump in. And so I think just showing them the impact that they could possibly make is really powerful. That's great advice. Marketers, stop keeping everything you do in a silo. Please take the time and the effort to feed that back. Like something that I like to recommend to our marketers is so many of them send out like a weekly or a monthly update. Sometimes it's company-wide. Sometimes it's like to the executives and very few people actually get to do that. But for some reason, the marketer gets to do that. Use that as an opportunity to pump up that expert's tires. Give him a shout out. Yes, 100%. Shine a spotlight on those people. Yeah, company-wide if you can, that recognition really goes a long way. Awesome. I love that. Look, I know you've been going around and making friends at Lasso, but you were also awarded the Golden Horseshoe, and I'm sure that's not (laughs) what it was just for. Your colleague, Drew Brucker, he listed an enormous list of things that you accomplished in your first 90 days there. That included in-depth voice of the customer research, podcast hosting, video production, new product messaging, product announcements, product launch, brand styling. I don't know if I, I think we mentioned video production, but I saw that you just launched like another ad for Lasso. First of all, how the hell are you getting all of this done? (laughs) That was a really good question. Okay. First of all, I think experience helps. Experience absolutely helps. So that video that you're referencing, I had the idea for that, booked the shoot, shot it, and had it live. Um, Okay. I'll say the live part happened a couple weeks later, but had the idea, pitched the idea, booked the shoot, had the shoot. And that all happened in a week, but that couldn't have happened if I didn't have my background. That was what I used to do was like, I would come up with an idea for a commercial and we would go shoot it. Right. And so I just knew what had to happen, knew what was absolutely necessary to have in that video and what we could forego and have it still do the thing we need it to do. Um, so I think that definitely helps. My team is incredible. Team structure wise, we have Drew, who you mentioned, who is, who's my boss. He's VP of growth, myself. And then we have Kristen Trainer, who is rev ops genius, who builds all of our dashboards, does everything for us in HubSpot. Beneath me, I have a woman named Rachel Ivelti, and she's fantastic, amazing, like day-to-day individual contributor. She's getting all of the podcasts produced and put up on the site and turning those into recaps and all of the things that have to happen day-to-day. And then we actually just hired a customer marketing manager, Mindy Hansel, who is going to take on some of the customer side of the house because we do a ton of upsell and kind of expansion type marketing. And we really needed someone to head that up. So having a team is very helpful. I don't think I could have done all of that and kept everything else going at my previous role where I was the only person. I think that's helpful. And then I would say ruthless prioritization is really important. So there are things that people are going to come to you with that don't ladder up to company goals and you're gonna have to say no. And maybe someday they will ladder up to a company goal or a personal goal, or you'll have time to actually fit it in. But right now, this is the goal and this is the thing we're focused on. And so I think knowing, knowing what those goals are And knowing that that's why you're saying no and helping communicate, like, this is why I'm saying no. It doesn't really ladder up to this thing that we're all working toward right now. So we're going to have to put it on the back burner until that's accomplished. Learning how to say that 
is a tough lesson, but it's a learned skill and something I used to have a really hard time with and have gotten much better as I've gotten more experience and frankly, just gotten more on my plate, right? There's a point where you can't do everything and you have to say no. And so figure out very quickly how to do that strategically. Well, you've done an unreal job. It sounds like it was really three key things. It was prioritization, the team and experience. And I want to go a bit more into that experience side. I suppose with that experience, either consciously or subconsciously, you've probably built like processes and frameworks. And if they are conscious, and I'm sure they must be conscious, I would love to try and deconstruct those a little bit more just so our listeners can try and apply the Jess Cook framework to their own company. So where should our listeners begin as a content marketer when they start at a new company? Start with your customers. I think that is the most important place to start and anything else will lead you astray. So start there. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to get on a call with a customer day one. Uh, I'm sure there are with, the, with Gong and all of the kind of tools like Gong, there should be some sort of recordings or interviews, things that you can dig up and take a look at and just hear how your customers talk, hear what their challenges are, understand the pain points or the things that they really love about their job, things that they want to know more about that they'd love to uplevel their skills in. And those are the things that you can start to kind of form some pillars around or some content themes, um, some thought leadership. Hey, do we not, then you're going back to your SMEs, right? Do we have an expert in this area that we could talk to? Because I, I just listened to three calls and I heard two people talk about X. So let's dig into that a little bit. Who do we have internally that we can talk to about that? So I think it's definitely starting with customers and starting to pick up on things you hear multiple people say, in so many ways, They're, they might not say it all the exact same, but you can start to pick up on themes of, ah, this is a recurring pain point that I hear a lot about. Let's double click on that a bit with some content. I love that advice of, you don't have to go and speak to those customers directly initially. Let's be real, you've just joined a new business. Like no one wants you to go and talk to their customers nope. <laughs> straight away. You probably don't even fully understand what the hell the business does. Yeah, <laughs> so, you don't even know what to ask. Yeah, yeah, you don't even know what to ask. Like. I, a good friend of mine, he describes everyone who works in the city as people just walking around in suits trying to explain to each other what their jobs are <laughs> and justify what they are. But it just really hits home the idea that, look, just take the time to settle in, understand what the business does, lean on the resources you have internally. And then, look, absolutely, I think there's no replacement for hearing those words from the customer, but you've got to know what to ask and you've got to understand the business to have that context so I think that voice of the customer research is really important. And do you have a cadence like as to how often a content marketer should be getting those insights from the customers? I think if you have a recording software, like jump in there once a week, grab one call, take a look, or ask your sales team if you're if you're buddies with somebody on the sales team, hey, what was your best call this week? I'm gonna I'm gonna go jump in and listen to it. They're never more than 30 minutes usually you can listen to it on one and a half speed and you can get a lot of really great information out of that. So I, I would say doing that at least once a week and talking to a customer at least once a month, I think is super important. If not more often, depending on the role, right? Like customer marketing manager, she's probably going to be talking to customers once she gets ramped up all the time and as she should. So I think, you know, definitely try to build in some sort of cadence and 
shoot, block that time out on your calendar. So you make sure you get it done for a while. I'm, I need to get it back on the calendar, but for a while I was blocking out an hour on Fridays to watch two calls, just to start to get back into it every week and then come back on Monday and be like, Oh yeah, I heard that thing. We should write about that. So if you can just make a consistent habit of it, I think that's really helpful. It's just going to make you a better marketer. I love that. It comes back to prioritization, yes. right? Like yep. making sure you block that time out and you stick to it. That's it's right. so important. Jess, you strike me as a fairly organized person. I don't know if that's true. I, don't, I really don't know you all that well. You should see <laughs> you my, seem pretty my, organized. my desktop is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> screenshot, screenshot, screenshot. Actually, to be fully honest, I feel like we have a little bit of similar energy. I am constantly trying to rein myself in and force myself to be planned. That's when my business partner comes in and he's really helped me just get my stuff together so we can keep to the cadence of everything that we need to do so we can keep the wheels turning. I would love to know for you, how far in advance do you plan your content? So we're about a month out, give or take, with podcast episodes, with social posts, and the blog. Something I will do, though, we just had this big product announcement come up. And so everything got really intense for a while. It was kind of like, we've got that going on, and we have to keep everything up. And Drew actually, Drew Brucker said this to me. He was like, you know what? Just lengthen the time between the things a little bit, right? So for instance, we were posting on LinkedIn every day from the Lasso account. And he was like, just do every other day. That right there cuts the amount of work in half, but you're still out there, right? Like you're still out there posting things. And so that was really helpful. Just like having that permission to like ease up a little bit on some of the day-to-day stuff so that we could really focus on like the next big announcement or the next big product release. So sometimes you do, you can be a month out, but you might then need to increase the space between the cadence a bit. And that that's okay. Actually, I posted on LinkedIn today that was like, I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's okay if the cadence of your blog, your social post, your podcast, whatever falls off because of any reason, honestly, strategic work, vacation, mental break, sorry, mental health break. I think we get really tied up and this is a weekly podcast or this is a, I post every day and we're not curing anything. There's so many more important things. Like you can find ways to expand your bandwidth just by doing simple things like we're going to post every other day for a little while until we can get back to posting every day. And that's okay. That's such great advice. Something we've been thinking about lately is we've committed to doing a podcast episode every week and we've done that for at least a year and a half. So we're 77 episodes in and like we prepare a lot and we repurpose every single bit. But I've just been thinking to myself lately, look, I know that we do have regular listeners who tune in every Monday morning and they look forward to it and they tell us, but like the amount of content we get out of one, like we could probably just do one every couple of weeks, even one a month, and we would have more than enough content. And so then we just don't feel that pressure to keep going and going and going. Built such a nice library. You could go back and be like, Grab one that was like your most downloaded and be like, hey guys, we're redo we're going to publish this one again because it was so great. And here it is again for all the new listeners. There is nothing that's smart repurposing. That's not lazy at all. Kudos to you for doing that for 77 weeks in a row. That is incredible. 
that takes some <laughs> stamina. But yeah, I think as marketers, we have to find ways to go back and use the greatest hits and either remix them or straight up reuse them the exact same way we originally published them. You know, that is okay. No one is thinking about you the way you think they are thinking about you, or they're not like, where's George's latest podcast? They might not be, they're busy. And then when they see it pop up, they're like, oh, awesome, another one. So I think we can just give ourselves some breathing room. Oh God, I totally agree. I think once you realize that we all suffer from that spotlight effect, yeah. that idea that we think the whole world is looking at us, and then at some point you just grow up and you realize no one gives a crap about me. No one really cares that much. Sure, you got your friends, you got your family, but yeah. no one really cares that much. It's very liberating, I have to it say. It is. <laughs> it's freeing. Something you touched on was the idea that we could like just repurpose so much of the content that we create. What percentage of effort do you put into creating new content versus repurposing and distributing existing content? So honestly, I, I think it's pretty evenly split, like 50-50. We're creating a weekly podcast episode. We are creating blog posts a few times a month. We don't have a really crazy cadence. We're only creating content if it feels like something we really need to say and put out there. But then repurposing wise, like we're like you like to say, we are squeezing that lemon, like we are squeezing that fruit dry. <laughs> and so for instance, we did a survey with our customers about their project management challenges because we had a new project management tool coming out. And we got all this great data from it, these really nice statistics about the challenges and the pain points. And we started creating graphics out of those and we seeded those out in social media week over week. We built a blog post out of that. Just today, we posted a carousel of all of the statistics that we found together, right? And so it's the same content, but not everyone sees it every time. In fact, very few people, I think, especially on LinkedIn, I think it's like 1% of your audience sees it every time you post. And so no one is going to get tired of you telling the same story because they don't even realize you're telling the same story over and over. They see one piece of it and, you know, that it strikes them, right? But I think the thing that is really nice about repurposing is it ensures that you are telling the same story over and over across all of the channels that you're in. And that's how you get that's how you become known for something. We get really sick of hearing ourselves talking about the same things over and over way faster than our audience even catches on to what we are trying to stand for. I think repurposing one gives us a bit of relief. Like we don't have to always be creating all the time. We're a relatively small team, so it helps us feel like we're bigger than we are because we're still pushing things out all the time, even though it's built from the same information or same piece of content. And two, it keeps that story really consistent. And I think that's important for building a brand. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. And I think that's so true about the fact that it actually keeps you consistent. And in a way, I think that gives the small teams who are taking this repurposing structure actually a huge leg up over these huge teams who are constantly creating original pieces yes. of content that really no one is consuming. But yeah, exactly. Like you have that original piece of research and you're just repurposing it. You're telling that story a bunch of different times in a slightly different way, in a way that really matches how that consumer wants to consume it. And I think that's a huge advantage that it just matches that point of view that you want to get across to the world. Absolutely. Yeah, so powerful. All right, let's get on to, we've put that content out, we've repurposed it. 
how are we judging the success of our content marketing? I think that's something that like a lot of marketers really struggle with. Are there leading indicators? Are there lagging indicators of success that people need to look for to see if they're on the right path? Yeah. So we have, a, we're in a world now where we just have so much data. We can look at a million different data points and three of them will tell us we're doing great. And two of them will tell us we're failing. <laughs> the, and it really goes back to what is the business trying to accomplish? And so something I'm really thankful for at Lasso is that we have very clear revenue goals, demos, booked goals, and then we each set individual goals for each quarter. And those individual goals ladder back to the demos booked goals and the demos booked goals ladder back to the company revenue. And so it's very motivating to know that like the things I'm focused on each quarter are going to help drive the business. And so we're really focused on the metrics that ladder back to those goals. We're always looking at who is booking demos and we, we have a very specific target audience that we are crafting content for. So what I would expect to see is that number of that job title booking demos to just continuously go up as we create content, repurpose content for that title. I am very carefully looking at branded search and branded search clicks or organic branded search and branded search clicks. Is the number of people going up over time that are searching for Lasso, meaning I'm doing my job in getting more people to hear about Lasso month over month or quarter over quarter? Is the Are the search results that they're seeing from those branded searches giving them what they're hoping for, meaning they're then clicking on them and coming to the site. And is that growing over time? So th those are a couple really big ones that I like to look at. Repurposing multiplier, which is something I just, a name I made up of a stat that I once saw someone present at a, <laughs> at a conference, which is really like how many more people are getting their eyes on your content through your repurposing efforts. So for instance, with the Lasso podcast, we're able to clip that up, put it out on different social media platforms, put it in our newsletter, and we're getting like a 16X multiplier on the number of people who are actually like downloading the podcast versus people who are just seeing content from it because we repurposed it. So can we, can we up that in any way? Can we find some of the best pieces that performed really well that repurposed and go back and use those again? So those are the things that I am, that I consider success. Um, they don't always ladder back directly or quickly to revenue, but they will, right? They're longer term. And I think that is just a key aspect of content is it's a longer term play. It's a trust building exercise. And luckily I'm in an organization that understands that and values that. And that's not true everywhere. That's a difficult thing to sell in. I'm going to write a blog post and hopefully in six months, we'll get some people to <laughs> sign up. Not everyone is very excited by that. So yeah, I, I'm thankful that I'm somewhere that gets that and values it. There's a few things there. First of all, the repurposing multiplier. I love that. I think I'm going to borrow it if you don't Go for mind. it. Do um, it. I'm pitching a potential collaboration to a brand and I think I'm going to use repurposing multiplier in my pitch. That's a killer. I love yeah. that because you're right. Like you can just 15, 20x the number of eyeballs. The more you repurpose compared to that original piece of content, and especially like a podcast, right? And it's yeah. notoriously difficult, especially in, in, with a niche topic to 
get those listeners growing and growing and have huge numbers that are going to impress people. But when you amplify it by repurposing it, I mean, you can see the huge impact that it has. Yeah. The second thing that I wanted to pick up on was so many of those leading and lagging indicators that you touched on, they actually really seem to tie to business outcomes and tying themselves to business outcomes is something that I think demand gen marketers really harp on about. Look, let me be real. Personally, I just think like demand gen marketing, I think it's like good sustainable B2B marketing that has largely been rebranded. Yeah. And yes, there's a focus on pipeline and revenue, but you know what? Jess, I'm not here to redefine a category, so I'm leaning into it. But I feel like being business outcomes focused is something that demand gen marketers really try and pride themselves on. And from what you're telling me, that's something that a great content marketer should do. How much overlap do you think there is between what a content marketer does and a demand gen marketer does? That's a really, <laughs> that's a good question. I think there's a there is an amount of overlap in that demand gen marketers are always in search of what is the thing that I'm going to put out there that's going to generate the demand. Like they need the content. There is no demand gen without some piece of content, right? And so the overlap I think is in like the thing content provides is the thing demand gen needs. And um, just like you have to go on a friend making tour with your SMEs, like you have to be very close with your demand gen folks because you know, they're the ones who are going to be distributing what you create. If all you're doing is publishing on your blog and publishing your podcast episodes out to Apple podcasts, like the odds of people seeing it are low. And so you're going to have to be very, very close with the folks who are in charge of distribution, who are in charge of, who are responsible for a number, a lot of times of they're responsible for those leads that come in, right? And they have a target they have to hit and you should want to help them. Cause again, it's, it's going back to that business goal of, Hey, that's going to help me hit that demo number. So I think there's some overlap. I think, I think there is. Okay, you mentioned the podcast that I that I host is that's Marketing Baby and my co-host Susan, she was my media kind of demand gen counterpart at Marpipe where we both worked together. And she and I were very close in terms of I would let her know this piece of organic content is doing really well. You might want to let's figure out a way to boost it or promote it in some way or build a campaign around that idea. And then she would come to me and be like, "Hey, this ad that I've been running for so long is doing, has been doing really well, but it's starting to kind of wane. The performance is starting to drop a bit. Do you want to sit with me and we can come up with something else we can do to replace it? And so I think there's just a partnership there. It's symbiotic. Like I needed her to get eyeballs on the things I created and she needed me to create the thing to get eyeballs on. And so I think you have to be able to go back and forth and figure out, come to a really good middle ground of the content you want to create that's going to help build the brand and build trust, and the content that's going to ultimately get people to the site, click book a demo or start a free trial or whatever that is and drive the business. I think that's the part that people really miss about demand gen is like how reliant they are on the content side of things. Yeah. If you don't have a good content marketer, if you aren't creating that original content, like you can't persuade people to be from like problem unaware to problem aware. And if you're not able to do that, I would argue that you can't really do demand gen. Like I, that's just what I would argue. So I think you're completely right. I think that there's clearly a lot of overlap there. Yeah, absolutely. 
I feel at the moment that we spoke about AI tools just in passing earlier. I've played around with them. I'm sure you have. I feel like things like ChatGPT mean that there's just going to be so much pressure on content marketers to do more with less. Do you feel that AI is going to be a good thing or a bad thing for content marketers? I think it depends on people's expectations of it. So if you expect that it's going to allow you to not hire a content marketer, I think you're going to be really disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you look at it as a tool that's going to help you generate new ideas, come up with some interesting ways to write three or four different social posts or get you your ideas going on three or four different social posts that you can repurpose a piece of content. If you can look at it as, hey, I have this transcript and I just want to get like the big bullet points down, like use it as a tool for that, right? If you look at it as a tool that's going to help you scale, then I think you're going to be very happy with it. I think it's going to be a good thing. So I think it's all in, in how you look at it again. Like I think when we talked earlier about like good content versus great AI can't form a point of view, (laughs) only humans can do that. Right. And so I think it's really important to understand that. And yes, you can absolutely use AI chat GPT, whatever tool you want to generate some new ideas or help you bulk up this section that you might need a little extra kind of thinking around. Uh, but you're not going to be able to get that really differentiated point of view without having an expert in the area who clearly must be human. Yeah. I think there's good and bad. I think it's, they're the tools are only going to get better. So that's exciting. I'm excited to see where we can go with them in three to five years and what they look like. But right now, they need a heavy human touch. I think you answered my next question there as well, Jess, which was everyone has access to the same AI tools. Like, how can you get your content to stand out from the competition? From what I'm hearing you say, you've got to have that subject matter expert. You've got to have that human touch at the beginning of that content creation process. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, man, we're going to see just a ton of content get produced because it can be so quickly now. And I think it's going to be really good for the brands who put a lot of thought and value the credibility that their internal experts can bring to their content because it's really going to start to stand out that oh, this piece of content, really, there is some thought put into this. This is not AI generated. It's very clear, right? And that's going to start to stand out more. And so I think the the brands that are going to get rewarded are the brands who use AI tools strategically to scale, but still rely on their experts to build credibility and trust. I couldn't agree more. I think those brands that are putting those humans first, that are putting like a face behind the brand, or at least have a really strong point of view, they're the ones who are going to really benefit in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. Jess, I want to now get into this amazing personal brand. I don't know if you like calling it a personal brand. I'm going to call it a personal brand that you're building and other platforms. I guess I just want to start by asking, have you applied your own content strategy to your personal brand? Yes, I do a lot of repurposing. I do a lot of looking at what's 
performing well to know what to write, continue to write about or what other people want to hear about. I'll reuse my best performing posts. I'll go right back and grab them from three months ago and repost them again because, hey, there's a couple thousand people now that didn't see it the first time around that, that might see it now. And I think just the whole idea of human content feels really important to me on LinkedIn. So I do share a lot of stuff in, in, in the realm of, Hey, this was a struggle for me, or I always had a hard time with this, or this is the way I used to do something. And now that I know better, here's the way I do it. And so I think people gravitate to that because we all make similar mistakes in our learning to become a better marketer. And so it's really, I think, helpful and refreshing to see people talk about their kind of failures or their misses as much as they do their wins. And so I, I think those are things that, that I have gleaned from content marketing strategy and, you, and applying it to, to what I post on LinkedIn. I personally, I find it like incredibly insightful. I find it very human what you post, which I think really cuts through the noise and just leaves me every time I read it. I don't know. I just feel a little bit happy, a little bit warm and fuzzy inside. And that's a real skill. Oh, that's so, so nice awesome to say. Awesome stuff on that. Thank you. I'd love to ask about That's Marketing Baby. Tell us a little bit more about That's Marketing Baby. Great title for a podcast, <laughs> by the way. I really love it. Yeah. What led you to start it? So Susan and I, Susan's my co-host. She and I worked together at Marpipe, like I'd mentioned, and we hosted the podcast, the Marpipe podcast together. And we had so much fun doing that. And actually the reason that podcast started, the Marpipe podcast started was because she and I would just hop on the phone and talk about stuff. And every time we'd get down, we'd be like, we should have recorded that. That was really good. And <laughs> so we were like, let's just start doing it and see how it works. So we did the podcast there. And then when we both left, we were texting each other and we were like, man, that was fun. We need to do that again. Let's just try it out and see if we can fit that into our lives. We're both moms. We both work full time. And it was kind of like, let's just, see, let's just see. Can we do weekly? Let's try it. And, and so, yeah, so we just started it out and we were like, let we, she has a great follow, a huge following on Twitter. I have a good one on LinkedIn. And so we use those channels to promote it. And we have a lot of fun. Like she and I are just friends. We love talking about this stuff which I hope I think comes through in the podcast itself that we just have a lot of fun talking about it. And it does, uh, what I liked about it is there are a lot of podcasts out there like B2B marketing that are, that feel a little, they feel like B2B marketing. They feel a little yeah. stuffy and I yeah. didn't want it to feel like that. I almost wanted it to feel like, to be honest, my favorite true crime podcast, which is called my favorite murder. <laughs> <laughs> but they are just two friends talking and you, you laugh, you know, as much as you can in a podcast about murder. And I was like, I want it to feel like that. I want it to feel like you're just listening to two friends who you could jump into the conversation at any moment. And I feel like we've done that. It's been really fun and we're going to keep it going. It's, we've had some, a great reception so far and we, we love doing it. So we're going to, we're going to keep doing it. Awesome. That's exactly what it feels like to me. It's like you, you've walked in on two friends who are experts really chatting about what's on their mind when it comes to marketing. It's really high energy. I encourage all of our listeners to go and check it out. That's marketing baby. Jess, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much for letting us into your brain and for sharing so much of your practical advice and experience with us. Before we round out the conversation, is there anything that you'd like to add or direct our audience's attention to? 
I love hearing from folks on LinkedIn. If you're listening to this, please connect with me, reach out to me. I love meeting new folks there and, and learning about what you're doing in your marketing role. So yeah, come find me. Awesome. It's just Jess Cook, guys. Pretty much spelt exactly how it sounds. We'll put it in the show notes. It's not the same nightmare that I go through when I have to say George Kudinaris. <laughs> no, it's yeah, a little simpler. <laughs> Jess, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that conversation, not just for the energy that Jess had, which both George and I really enjoyed, me listening back and editing, but also the real gems of content marketing wisdom that she dropped in that conversation with George. She's someone that really knows her stuff and it's yet more proof if you need it that although it's a longer play, businesses that lean into helpful content and amplifying it really come out on top. All the things that we've talked about in the 5Bs framework so far. Kev, some of the few key ideas from Jess that I absolutely loved. Let's run through them. The first one I really loved, Kev, was listeners, you need to start with your customers and maintain that insight from them for your content. Just like what you and I say, Kev, in Be Ready. That's it. And then you need to have that point of view that Jess emphasized that really leans on subject matter experts who understands the nuances and the pain points that your potential customers have. And they understand that personally. They've gone through some of that themselves. That shows through in the content and creates that truly helpful and impactful content that really resonates. And Kev, when it comes to actually measuring the success of that content and content marketing, it really goes back to company goals again. It might just take a less direct route there, but it certainly helps when the business understands the value in content marketing in the long run because content marketing is a long-term play. So you need that buy-in. Definitely a long-term play, George. And I think we understand that from personal experience. Listeners, Jess also mentioned that AI tools should be seen as a scaling tool for your content strategy, but to still ensure that your content is led with your subject matter experts, human touch. And also make sure that, again, your content and your demand generation functions are working together as a team, whether that's separate people or the same person and different functions for a business, because that's exactly what they are. They are different functions within the same team, within the same process. All right, listeners, go and connect with Jess on LinkedIn so you can see her daily dose of gold and make sure you check out her podcast. That's Marketing Baby. It's really great. I listen to it. As always, Kevin and I are so stoked that more and more are joining us every Monday by listening to the podcast or watching us on YouTube. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please pass this show on to someone that might enjoy and get value from it. It's a huge help to us. Really, really appreciate it. If you're watching on YouTube, Go ahead, give us a like, give us a comment. The algorithm likes that. It feeds my ego. Um, Kev does a little dance every time it happens. Uh, so please go ahead and do that. Thank you very much, listeners. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you to Jess. Take care and see you next week. Thank you to Jess. Thank you to you, George, and to our listeners. Take care and see you all next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. 